Welcome to Morning Seminary. I'm your host, Simeon Sideways, and in this podcast, we'll explore some of the teachings of the Book of Mormon, a strange book published in 1830 that Mormons claim is a historical account written by people from an ancient world. For now, let's ignore the Book of Mormon's mentions of horses, elephants, chariots, silk, steel, wheat, and all the other stuff that didn't exist in pre-Columbus America, or even how author Joseph Smith tried to sell the copyright to a fiction publisher. We are here to read some stories together. Show me a sign. We say it when we're lost, feeling down, or buying billboards. When people ask for signs in religious contexts, though, it's because they're out of luck and feeling like all hope is lost. They want a sign that life is more than a cruel game played by a capricious god, unconcerned with our well-being. Show me a sign is a cry for help to justify living in this cold, hellish world. For most people, though, asking for a sign is nothing more than an old, played-out cliché. But for Mormons, it's sedition against God, and it's a huge no-no. Why? Because real believers treasure faith. You shouldn't want a sign. Once you know for sure that something exists, there's no need to have faith in it or believe anymore. Without faith, Jonah, even seeing is not enough. Faith is a way to find hope in the unknown, whether or not it's true. Faith in something completely made up can still be helpful in some situations. Oh, what's in the box? And while faith may blind you to some unpleasant truths deep down in your soul, it's a bright side to look upon in the face of your own mortality. But while the faithful may be content not asking for sign, the rest of us want to know. Can't we just get a little proof of God's existence? For one Book of Mormon villain, the answer was a resounding no. I do not deny the existence of a God, but I do not believe that there is a God and except you show me a sign, I will not believe. In this episode, we're talking about Korahor, a guy who violated Mormon policy by openly expressing doubt about others' faith. It didn't end well for him. The story of Korahor takes place about 500 years after the times of Nephi. Listen to the last episode if you don't know what I'm talking about. Which places the event just before the birth of Jesus. The Nephites had a nice, sizable city called Zarahemla that according to bookofmormonevidence.org was home to around 100,000 people at some point. Which is crazy because no one's ever found it. Times were good. In fact, the people of Zarahemla were so prosperous that few took notice when a guy started roaming around town contesting their belief in Jesus. Prophecies are mere traditions, there shall be no Christ. Tomorrow is not guaranteed, and difference is not crime. Nine! Alma, local leader at the time, wasn't a fan, but he makes a point to establish the importance of protecting Korahor's right to free speech. There was no law against a man's belief. Therefore, a man was punished only for the crimes which he had done. Big mistake, it turns out. After hearing about all these exciting new life possibilities, people in Zarahemla started trying new things. Zeke is baking, creme brulee. They didn't want religion anymore. And then what happened? Utter chaos. 
Korahor caused them to lift up their heads in their wickedness, leading away many women and also men to commit whoredoms, telling them that when a man was dead, that was the end thereof. I love that mention of also men. Korahor was so effective that even men were committing whoredoms. It's also surprising how in an era where heads were lost over a game of basketball if it pleased the gods, Korahor was spared capital punishment despite talking the prevailing religion. Lucky guy, at least for now. Having spiced up the culture in Zarahemla, Korahor heads over to the city of Gideon, but there they aren't quite so diplomatic. Here he did not have much success, for he was taken and bound and carried before the high priest and also the chief judge over the land. Apparently in Gideon, there is a law against your beliefs, something an earlier verse calls a wiser approach. Did theocracy become good again? Should people be arrested for criticizing prevailing religions, or shouldn't they? Pick one. Anyway, the cops in the righteous city of Gideon arrest Korahor and take him to be interrogated by a guy named Gidona. Why do you go about perverting the ways of the Lord? Why do you teach this people that there shall be no Christ to interrupt their rejoicings? Amazing. After arresting Korahor for his views about Christianity, Gidona gives him the old let people like things argument. As if people don't enjoy all kinds of disgusting vices like assault, theft, black licorice, and Marvel movies. But what does Korahor have to say? Why does he interrupt their rejoicings? Because I do not teach this people to bind themselves down under the foolish ordinances and performances laid down by ancient priests to usurp power and authority over them. She's not a Christian! Normally I'd say the Book of Mormon is total bullshit, but Alma chapter 30 verse 23 is exactly how religion affects people and how power moves within religion. Ye say that this is a free people, but I say that they are in bondage. Ye say that those ancient prophecies are true. Behold, I say that ye do not know that they are true. Nothing Korahor says here is false. He is literally in bondage for speaking out against Gedona's religion. Ye say this people is a guilty and a fallen people because of the transgression of a parent. Behold, I say that a child is not guilty because of its parents. Wait, go back. I say that a child is not guilty because of its parents. That idea that children aren't guilty for the sins of their parents? It's Mormon doctrine, spelled out in the second article of faith. We believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. Korahor is teaching doctrine here, yet they cite it as evidence of him distorting it. And ye also say that Christ shall come. Behold, I say, ye do not know that there shall be a Christ. Again, totally true. Faith, by definition, is not knowledge. You may strongly believe in God, but to know God exists makes faith irrelevant. Mormon scriptures even say this later on. Behold, faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things. No one knows or can know if there will be a Christ. People can have faith that Jesus is real, but it's never a perfect knowledge. That's the point of faith. Korahor argues in vain, though, and nothing he says will stop the hammer of theocratic justice from crashing down on him. The government in the city of Gideon was run entirely by religious officials. 
people who arrest guys like Korihor for speaking out, unaware of the irony in lecturing him on religious freedom while he stands shackled in court. Eventually, Gidona sends Korihor back to Alma and Zarahemla, where he will be tried. Tried! In a place where there was no law against a man's belief. The Book of Mormon emphasizes the importance of free speech, but then presents the following kangaroo court as some kind of example on how to deal with religious dissent. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. So here we are, Korihor being interrogated by Alma, who starts by strawmanning the absolute shit out of him. Thou knowest that we do not glut ourselves upon the labors of this people. Korihor actually used the word usurp, but even if he did say what Alma's implying, doesn't his arrest sort of corroborate that opinion? Why sayest thou that we preach unto this people to get gain, when thou of thyself knowest that we receive no gain? There's simply no reason why Korihor would know anything about Alma's finances. This is an absurd question, a couple more of which Alma will ask before firing off the classics. Believest thou that there is a god? Nine. Will ye deny that there is a god? Do you deny saying you too after the waiter said enjoy? Do you deny eating four quesadillas when you were only hunger for one, maybe two? Do you deny re-watching High School Musical for a tenth time? I do not deny the existence of a god, but I do not believe that there is a god. What evidence have ye that there is no god? Excuse me. Evidence that there is no god? What evidence does Alma have that God isn't a parrot with human teeth and tentacles and bulging eyes and a little felt hat? I have all things as a testimony that these things are true. All things, Alma. Birth defects, genocide, natural disasters, terminal illness, Marvel movies. How does the existence of what the hell ever prove that Alma's God is real? Sorry, not convinced, and neither is Korihor, which leads Alma to call Korihor a charlatan. Behold, I know that thou believest, but thou art possessed with a lying spirit. If thou wilt show me a sign that I may be convinced that thou is a god, yea, show unto me that he hath power, then I will be convinced of the truth of thy words. When I was a kid, this was where my mom would stop scripture study to make a point. Never ask God for a sign, she would say. You just might get it. Too bad Korihor's mom never taught him how God is dangerous like a genie. So it's up to Alma to warn him once more before completely destroying his life forever. If thou shalt deny again, behold, God shall smite thee that thou shalt become dumb, that thou shalt never open thy mouth anymore, that thou shalt not deceive this people anymore. Deceive, what a word. Korihor deceived people by saying the governing religion has too much power. He deceived them by teaching that we don't inherit our parents' sins. Anyway, Korihor decides to call Alma's bluff. After all, God only punishes evil people, and questioning God isn't a sin. Except ye show me a sign I will not believe. In the name of God, ye shall be struck dumb that ye shall no more have utterance. And that's it. Alma says the magic words, and Korihor can't talk anymore. He writes out a confession.
I know that I am dumb, for I cannot speak. And I know that nothing save it were the power of God could bring this upon me. And I always knew that there was a God. Oh, he was lying. He knew God was real the whole time, but decided to lie about it. And now he'll never speak again. That's justice. Mormons have a weird relationship with defending free speech. Forbes, for example, says they're America's foremost defenders of free speech, even though in 1844 the Mormons burnt down a newspaper that accused Joseph Smith of sex crimes against children, both acts which Mormons defend to this day on their website. They said there was no law against a man's belief, but Korihor can't talk anymore because he criticized Alma's religion and wouldn't believe in God without a sign. Harsh. Also weird. If it was God who made Korihor mute, why did he make Alma voice the curse? Why is Alma aiding and abetting God's punishments for religious insubordination if there's no law against a man's belief? It's the worst kind of totalitarianism. The real kind. Dictators merely refer to themselves as God, but Alma had an actual God backing him, one who silences critics. Lesson learned though, don't ask God for a sign. It never ends well. Or does it? One guy in Mark 9 of the New Testament brings his palsy-ridden son to be healed by Jesus. But when Jesus tells him that all things are possible to those who believe, the dad replies, Help thou my unbelief. Help thou my unbelief. And Jesus heals his kid after that, dude. Dad admits he doesn't believe and Jesus gives him a miracle to ease his doubts. The Old Testament story of Elisha begins with the prophet parting a sea so people will know he's the prophet. And then later, when he heals Naaman from leprosy, it is so he will, quote, know there is a prophet in Israel. Or how about in Alma chapter 14 when Alma, yes, this Alma, is beaten up in court and asked, If you have the power of God, deliver yourselves from these bands. It works. God looses the bands on Alma's wrists, then kills everyone else in the building. I've always thought the whole atheist versus agnostic distinction was pointless. Both believe there's no proof of God. Whether or not proof could exist is subjective, kind of like the distinction between show me a sign and help thou my unbelief. One says, I'm pretty sure you can't, while the other says, let's see if you can. But both genuinely want a sign from God, and neither believes in God. It's just a request, not a challenge. I guess that's why the story feels like such a ham-fisted, home-brewed fable. That's why you always leave a note. It characterizes skepticism as nothing more than a lack of integrity. If you were honest, it says, you'd admit you know God is real. Without faith, Jonah, even seeing is not enough. Is it possible for anyone in Alma's universe to truly, genuinely not believe in God? Or are they all possessed with a lying spirit intent on deceiving others? Korihor only appears in one chapter of the Book of Mormon, which has some speculating that he was merely a caricature conveniently added to address skeptics in the 1830s. Anyway, now that Korihor is fessed up, he scrawls out to Alma that it was actually Satan who appeared as an angel to him and, get this, told him there is no God. And they're saying, 
There's no rules. Korihor was visited by an angel who commanded him to deny Christ everywhere he went. That seems like a pretty big deal, doesn't it? Who's gonna disobey a f***ing angel? They say God is more powerful than Satan, but was Satan's hold on Korihor so strong that muting him was the only way God could free him? And again, why was Alma involved? Couldn't God just have done it himself, herself, their self, itself, 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 himself, herself, their self, Sufficiently humbled, our antagonist begs to be healed, but no mercy is granted. Korihor is doomed to wander door to door, panhandling for food until he's ultimately trampled to death. I don't know what that means, by the way, they just say trampled to death. Alma puts out a warning to Zarahemla that anyone who followed Korihor must repent or suffer the same fate. As in trampling? Also, do you know what Alma told Korihor right before cursing him? Behold, it is better that thy soul should be lost than that thou shouldst be the means of bringing many souls down to destruction. Remember last episode when the angel told Nephi that the Lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth his righteous purposes? I referenced another story there where Alma couldn't prevent a bunch of murders because God needed the victims to judge the perpetrators in heaven. Heads up. There are juries in Mormon heaven, and they need evidence to throw people in jail. Otherwise, they might get away with it. Does this mean there are attorneys in heaven? If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Anyway, Korihor would not be judged by those he led astray, because instead, he was just killed off. Help thou mine unbelief. Hey, hey, help this guy. He really wants to believe. And now it's time for The Fair Mormon Response. Alright, it was a trick. Fair Mormon doesn't have any entries on Korihor. Just to talk about Korihor in Spanish, translated from BYU professor Chauncey Riddle's original talk given somewhere between 1952 and 1969. It's an awful sermon that concludes with him basically saying, there's a Korihor in every generation, and the only way to avoid being swindled is through total commitment to your faith, possibly to an unhealthy extent. We must value everything in this world, including our own lives, as scum and waste. We really don't need to go through the rest of his talk, but we will. I had to suffer. You will too. Perhaps Gorhor may, by his reasoning, confuse someone who had never had a revelation. But his quarrel's childish and pathetic to those who know and enjoy the companionship of the Holy Spirit. Or how about this one? His reasoning could not harm those whose belief was born of genuine spiritual experience, but they were powerfully effective among the weak of faith, whose belief had not yet reached an advanced point. My favorite is when he calls Satan, quote, that devil who greases the excuse of sin. Anyway, there's a lot of faith shaming in Brother Riddle's talk, hammering the idea that whatever is going wrong in your life is directly tied to your lack of faith. Unless it's a test from God. Either way, more faith is always the answer. Korihor didn't agree. He openly criticized the teachings of the prevailing religion, then stood trial for his unwillingness to stop, and was disabled in a church-influenced court. Freedom of religion used to attack religious dissent. It's like religion's biggest trope. 
So in closing, if you ever desperately need a sign from God, don't ask for one. Say, help my unbelief instead. That's all for this episode. It takes a lot of reading and beer to write these episodes, so if you're feeling generous, why not contribute by subscribing to my Patreon at patreon.com slash morningseminary. Let's commit whoredoms together, even the women. Until next time, adieu. And remember, always pay your tithing. <laughs>